Once again, my friends, welcome. It's your man, Mike D. This episode, we're going to be talking about slavery. A letter by Frederick Douglass. Some would ask, what does this have to do with mental health? Well, I submit to you that many African Americans in the United States have been impacted by structural racism since slavery and continue to experience trauma because of health disparities, economic disadvantages, and segregation. Have you ever heard of PTSS? PTSS is post-traumatic slavery syndrome, and it explains why many African Americans continue to experience trauma. PTSS is a condition that exists as a consequence of multi-generational oppression of Africans and their descendants resulting from centuries of chattel slavery. Looking at history and an inherent long-standing trauma that has and continue to plague African Americans can assist in addressing systemic racism and provide an opportunity to look at holistic restoration. Frederick Douglass addressing the then President of the United States and what he referred to as his friends and fellow citizens about the celebration of the 4th of July in the year of 1852. Mr. President, friends and fellow citizens, he who addresses this audience without a quailing sensation has stronger nerves than I have. I do not remember ever to have appeared as a speaker before any assembly more shriekingly, nor with greater distrust of my ability than I do this day. A feeling has crept over me, quite unfavorable to the exercise of my limited power of speech. The task before me is one which requires much previous thought and study for its proper performance. I know that apologies of this sort are generally considered flat and unmeaning. I trust, however, that mine will not be so considered. Should I seem at ease, my appearance would much misrepresent me. The little experience I have had in addressing public meetings in country schoolhouses avails me nothing on the present occasion. The papers and placards say that I am to deliver a 4th of July oration. This certainly sounds large and out of the common way, for it is true that I have often had the privilege to speak in this beautiful hall and to address many who now honor me with their presence, but neither their familiar faces nor the perfect gauge I think I have of Corinthian Hall seems to free me from embarrassment. The fact is, ladies and gentlemen, the distance between this platform and the slave plantation from which I escaped is considerable, and the difficulties to be overcome in getting from the latter to the former are by no means slight. That I am here today is to me a matter of astonishment as well as of gratitude. You will not, therefore, be surprised if in what I have to say I evince no elaborate preparation nor grace my speech with any high-sounding exordium. With little experience and with less learning, I have been able to throw my thoughts hastily and imperfectly together, and trusting to your patience and generous indulgence, I will proceed to lay them before you. This, for the purpose of this celebration, is the 4th of July. It is the birthday of your national independence and your political freedom. This, too, is what the Passover was to the emancipated people of God. It carries your minds back to the day and to the act of your great deliverance. 
and to the signs and to the wonders associated with the act and that day. This celebration also marks the beginning of another year of your national life and reminds you that the Republic of America is now 76 years old. I am glad, fellow citizens, that your nation is so young. 76 years, though a good old age for a man, is but a mere speck in the life of a nation. Three score years and ten is the allotted time for individual men, but nations number their years by thousands. According to this fact, you are, even now, only in the beginning of your national career. Still lingering in the period of childhood, I repeat, I am glad this is so. There is so much hope in the thought, and hope is much needed under the dark clouds which lower above the horizon. The eye of the reformer is set with angrily flashes, pretending disastrous times, but his heart may well beat lighter at the thought that America is young and that she is still in the impressionable stage of her existence. May he not hope that high lessons of wisdoms of justice and of truth will yet give direction to her destiny? Were the nation older, the patriot's heart might be sadder, and the reformer's brow heavier. Its future might be shrouded in gloom, and the hope of its prophets go out in sorrow. There is consolation in the thought of America is young. Great streams are not easily turned from channels, worn deep in the course of ages. They may sometimes rise in quiet, stately majesty, and inundate the land, refreshing the fertilizing the earth with their mysterious properties. They may also rise in wrath and fury and bear away on their angry waves the accumulated wealth of years of toil and hardship. They, however, gradually flow back to the same old channel and flow on as serenely as ever. But while the river may not turn aside, it may dry up and leave nothing behind but the withered branch and the unsightly rock, the howl in the abyss, sweeping wind, the sand tale of departed glory, as with rivers, so with nations. Fellow citizens, I shall not presume to dwell at length on the associations that cluster about this day. The simple story of it is that 76 years ago, the people of this country were British subjects. The style and the title of your sovereign people in which you now glory was not then born. You were under the British crown. Your fathers esteemed the English government as the home government and England as the fatherland. This home government, you know, although a considerable distance from your home, did, in the exercise of its parental prerogatives, impose upon its colonial children such restraints, burdens, and limitations as in the mature judgment it deemed wise, right, and proper. But your fathers, who had not adopted the fashionable idea of this day of the infallibility of government and the absolute character of its acts, presumed to differ from the home government in the respect to the wisdom and the justice of some of those burdens and restraints. They went so far in their excitement as to pronounce the measures of government unjust, unreasonable, and oppressive, and altogether such as ought not to be quietly submitted to. I scarcely need say, fellow citizens, that my opinion of those measures fully accords with that of your fathers. Such a declaration of agreement on my part would not be worthy much to anybody. It would certainly prove nothing as to what part I might have taken had I lived during the great controversy of 1776. 
To say now that America was right and England was wrong is exceedingly easy. Everybody can say it. The dastard, not less than the noble brave, can flippantly descant on the tyranny of England towards the American colonies. It is fashionable to do so. But there was a time when to pronounce against England and in favor of the cause of the colonies tried men's souls. They who did so were accounted in their day plotters of mischief, agitators and rebels, dangerous men. To side with the right against the wrong, with the weak against the strong, and with the oppressed against the oppressor. Here lies the merit and the one which of all others seems unfashionable in our day. The cause of liberty may be stabbed by the men who glory in the deeds of your fathers. But to proceed, feeling themselves harshly and unjustly treated by the home government, your fathers, like men of honesty and men of spirit, earnestly sought redress. They petitioned and remonstrated. They did so in a discourse, respectful and loyal manner. Their conduct was wholly unexceptionable. This, however, did not answer the purpose. They saw themselves treated with sovereign indifference, coldness, and scorn. Yet they persevered. They were not the men to look back. As the sheet anchor takes a firm hold when the ship is tossed by the storm, so did the cause of your fathers grow stronger as it breasted the chilling blast of kingly displeasure. The greatest and best of the British statement admitted its justice and the loftiest eloquence of the British Senate came to its support. But with that blindness, which seems to be unvarying characteristics of tyrants, seems Pharaoh and his host were drowned in the Red Sea. The British government persisted in the exaction complained of. The madness of this course, we believe, is admitted now, even by England. But we fear the lesson is woefully lost on our present ruler. Oppression makes a wise man mad. Your fathers were wise men, and if they did not go mad, they became restive under this treatment. They felt themselves the victims of grievous wrongs, woefully incurable in their colonial capacity. With brave men, there is always a remedy for oppression. Just here, the idea of a total separation of the colonies from the crown was born. It was a startling idea, much more so than we, at this distance of time, regarded the timid and the prudent, as has been intimidated of that day, were, of course, shocked and alarmed by it. Such people lived then, had lived before, and will probably ever have a place on this planet, and their course in respect to any great change, no matter how great the good to be attained or wrong to be redressed by it, may be calculated with as much precision as can be the course of the stars. They hate all changes, but silver and gold, copper, change. Of this sort of change, they are always strongly in favor. These people were called Tories in the days of your fathers, and the appellations probably convey the same idea that is meant by a more modern, though somewhat less euphonious term, which we often find in our papers applied to some of our old politicians. Their opposition to the then dangerous thought was earnest and powerful, but amid all their terror and a frightened vociferation against it, the alarming and revolutionary idea moved on, and the country with it. 
On the 2nd of July, 1776, the Old Continental Congress, to the dismay of the lovers of ease and the worshipers of property, clothed that dreadful idea with all the authority of national sanctions. They did so in the form of a resolution. And as we seldom hit upon resolutions drawn upon in our day, whose transparency is at all equal to this, they may refresh your minds and help my story, if I read it. Resolved that these united colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all the political connections between them and the state of Great Britain is, and ought to be, dissolved. Citizens, your fathers made good that resolution. They succeeded, and today you reap the fruits of their success. The freedom gained is yours, and you, therefore, may properly celebrate this anniversary. The 4th of July is the first great fact in your nation's history, the very right boat in the chain of your yet underdeveloped destiny. Pride and patriotism, not less than gratitude, prompt you to celebrate and to hold it in perpetual remembrance. I have said that the Declaration of Independence is the ring boat to the chain of your nation's destiny. So indeed, I regard it. The principles contained in the instrument are saving principles. Stand by those principles. Be true to them on all occasions, in all places, against all foes, and at whatever cost. From the round top of your ship of state, dark and threatening clouds may be seen heavily billows, like mountains in the distance, disclosed to the leeward huge forms of flinty rocks. The boat drawn, that chain broken, and all is lost. Cling to this day, cling to it, and to its principles, with the grasp of a storm-tossed mariner to a spar at midnight. The coming into being of a nation in any circumstance is an interesting event. But besides general considerations, there were peculiar circumstances which make the advent of this republic event of special attractiveness. The whole scene, as I look back to it, was simple, dignified, and sublime. The population of the country at the time stood at the insignificant number of three million. The country was poor in the munition of war. Population was weak and scattered in a country, a wilderness, unsubdued. There were then no means of concert or in combination such as exists now. Neither stream nor lightning had then been reduced to order and discipline. From the Potomac to the Delaware was a journey for many days. Under these innumerable other disadvantages, your fathers declared for liberty and independence and triumphed. Fellow citizens, I'm not wanting to respect for the fathers of this republic. The signers of the Declaration of Independence were brave men. They were great men, too, great enough to give fame to a great age. It does not often happen to a nation to rise at one time. Such a number of truly great men, the point of which I am compelled to view them is not. Certainly the most favorable, and yet I cannot contemplate their great deeds with less than admiration. They were statesmen, patriots, and heroes. And for the good they did and the principles they contended for, I will unite with you to honor their memory. They love their country better than their own private interests. And though this is not 
the highest form of human excellence, all will concede that this is a rare virtue and that when it is exhibited, it ought to command respect. He who will intelligently lay down his life for his country is a man whom it is not in human nature to despise. Your fathers stake their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor on the cause of their country. In their admiration of liberty, they lost sight of all other interests. They were peacemen, but they preferred revolution to peaceful submission to bondage. They were quiet men, but they did not shrink from agitating against oppression. They showed forbearance, but that they knew its limits. They believed in order, but not in the order of tyranny. With them, nothing was settled that was not right. With them, justice, liberty, and humanity were final, not slavery and oppression. You may well cherish the memory of such men. They were great in their day and generation. Their solid manhood stood out the more as we contrasted with these degenerate times. How circumspect, exact, and proportionate were all their movements. How unlikely the politicians of an hour. Their statesmanship looked beyond the passing moment and stretched away in strength into the distant future. They seized upon eternal principles and set glorious examples in their defense. Mark them. Fully appreciating the hardships to be encountered, firmly believing in the right of their cause, honorably inviting the scrutiny of an onlooking world, reverently appealing to heaven to attest their sincerity, soundly comprehending the solemn responsibility they were about to assume, wisely measuring the terrible odds against them. Your fathers, the fathers of this republic, did most deliberately under the inspiration of a glorious patriotism and with a sublime faith in the great principles of justice and freedom lay deep the cornerstone of the national superstructure which has risen and still rise in grandeur around you. Of this fundamental work, this day is the anniversary. Our eyes are met with demonstration of joyous enthusiasm. Banners and pennants wave exultingly on the breeze. The din of business, too, is hushed. Even Mammon seems to have quieted his grasp on this day. The ear-piercing fife and the stirring drum unite their accents with ascending peal and a thousand church bells. Prayers are made, hymns are sung, sermons are preached in honor of this day, while the quick marital tramp of a great and multitudinous nation, echoed back by all the hills, valleys, and mountains of the vast continent, bespeak the occasion, one of thrilling and universal interest, nation's jubilee. Friends and citizens, I need not enter further into the cause which led to the anniversary. Many of you understand them better than I do. You could instruct me in regard to them. That is a branch of knowledge in which you feel, perhaps, a much deeper interest than your speaker. The causes which led to the separation of the colonies from the British crown have never lacked for a tongue. They have all been taught in your common schools, narrated at your firesides, unfolded from your pulpits, and thundered from your legislative halls, and are as familiar to you as household words. They formed a staple of your national poetry and eloquence. I remember also that as a people, Americans are remarkably familiar with all facts which make in their own favor. This is esteemed by some as a national trait, perhaps a national weakness. 
It is a fact that whatever makes for the wealth or for the reputation of Americans can be had cheap will be found by Americans. I shall not be charged with slandering Americans if I say I think the American side of any question may be safely left in Americans' hands. I leave, therefore, the great deeds of your fathers to other gentlemen whose claim to have been regularly descended will be less likely to be disputed than mine. Part 2 to follow the present of what to the slave is the 4th of July.